First Timothy chapter 2 is where we're at this morning, and I'm sorry, we're not going to be there this morning, we're going to be elsewhere, we'll be coming to that, back to that next week, and um, I think I only changed my message about four times this week, so forgive me, um, trying to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit wants me to preach on today. Um, in October of 2014, I preached a message here entitled, What is a Church? What is a Church? Uh, today I'm going to be drawing a few things from that sermon along with a few newer concepts that I'll be sharing today, but I just want you to know there's absolutely nothing I want more than to see the church of Jesus Christ go forward. There's nothing I want more. There's nothing else that really matters in this life. There are things that are temporal and there are things that are eternal, and we're to invest in the eternal things, not the temporal things. Don't get me wrong, I love my family. And uh, I think it really stinks this week that my wife and I have been separated for a week and a half. It drives me nuts. You say, well, is there anything specific that you'd be doing if she was here? No, but I know that she's here. And she's not here now, and it drives me nuts. And uh, so I just, you know, there's nothing more you want than your family to be near. And, uh, you know, there's days I wake up and say, I'd like just to see David and just punch him in the arm or something like that, you know, just something, you know. And, uh, but he's in Houston, and, you know, there are times I want to look over and say, hey, Jake. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. Jake's now in Williamson at his house. And don't get me wrong. We love family. We love talking with people. We love doing those things. But really, when it comes down to it, there is nothing else that really matters other than our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's first and foremost, right? And so when it comes down to the church, there's absolutely nothing I want to see more than the church of Jesus Christ move forward. We know, however, that the church is you and me, Right? Uh, it's kind of interesting that when I say the church, you know, we have a connotation that we're talking about this building at Harvest Bible that meets at Calkins Road. But really, the church is you and I, but at the same time, the church encompasses a body of believers who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In that broader sense, we're a local family. We're a local body of believers who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, and yet we gather here in Henry, and another local body may gather in Greece, and another local body may gather in Togo, and another local body gathers in Texas, and so on. We have all these local bodies that are coming together to proclaim one thing, and that's Jesus Christ and Him crucified, right? So it's all about the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, and, uh, but it's my desire to see the body of Christ all over the world, and especially here in Henrietta, move forward, right? I mean, we're excited about all the other works, and we're excited that God is creating some new works, but man, we get excited about our own work as well, right? At least we should. Oh, there you go. I was just making sure you're with me there. Um, but it breaks my heart. It truly breaks my heart when you hear that a church that you know of, that you're familiar with, that you may even know some people there, and uh, you have a relationship with them, and then you get word that the church doors are closing. Uh, I've had that happen to me probably eight to ten times with people that I know personally, that they've called me and said, hey, our church is struggling, and uh, we're thinking about closing its doors. And then over time, you hear that it actually happened. In fact, I have a friend that I wish you'd pray for uh, in Alabama right now. Just remember my friend in Mobile, Alabama is struggling. The church is struggling. And, and uh, he said, man, I just don't know if I can keep going. And I said, you can't. God has to do this. And, uh, but it takes God's people walking in obedience, right? And it's like a football team. You know, the bottom line is it doesn't matter how great a quarterback is if he doesn't have a great receiver, right? And it doesn't matter how great... The, the quarterback is if he doesn't have a line that can block for him, right? And, and it doesn't matter how good the receiver is if he doesn't have a quarterback that can throw to him, right? It takes everybody doing what they can do to see it, a team move forward in success 
and do what they're supposed to do in accomplishing the victory, right? So it takes all of us in the body of Christ, every one of us doing our part. And if one person doesn't do it, it does, it does affect the whole. Sometimes we come into church and say, well, so-and-so's got this, and so-and-so's got that, and you know, it doesn't matter if I do this or not, somebody else will take care of that. It does matter. It's not just about whether or not you have some superstar players. It's not a matter of what, you know, this guy's just a, you know, he's an $84 million contract quarterback. Vikings realize he can't do it alone. Bottom line is, there's no one person in the body of Christ that can do it alone. We need each other. And we need each other more and more. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, Forsake not the assembling, right? So he says, we're not to go away, do our own thing, forget the body of Christ. He says, we're supposed to come together and even more as we see the day of Jesus Christ approaching, right? I don't know when Jesus Christ is going to come, but I know it's got to be soon. I would think it's going to be soon. Everyone can debate that subject, but I hope it's soon. I have no death wish, but I can't wait to see Jesus, right? Bottom line is, we don't know what's going to happen, but we're here to carry on the work that he has instituted in our lives. So it breaks our hearts when any church closes its doors. But like many other organizations, there are usually a host of reasons to consider as to why they are shutting their doors. You know, when something like an organization is in decline or possibly dying, what is the mindset of those who are observing it? What's going through the minds when somebody hears, oh, this church is shutting their doors? Or what's going through our minds when, hey, this store that's been here for 30 years is closing its doors for the last time, and they're having a clearance sale, and they're getting rid of everything? What goes through the mind of the person who is observing that? Lots of things. Like, to some, it's like, well, let it die. I didn't really care about it anyway, right? Let it die. It needs to die. Sometimes our mind, the mindset is, well, there's nothing we can do about it. It doesn't really matter what's going to happen. There's really nothing we can do about it. So just, you know, once again, let it die. Do whatever. You know, no skin off my back. I'm not going to lose any sleep. Sometimes to some, it's panic. Do something. Even if it's the wrong something, we've got to do something because we're panicking and we can't just let it close. I mean, we've got to do something. And then there's some who says, man, I, I don't want to see it die. I don't want to see this store close. I don't want to see this church shut its doors. I don't want to do something. We've got to get together. We've got to plan. We've got to put a, an initiative forward so that we can see it go forward. And Here's what I found out over the years. How one responds in part, how one responds depends in part on their relationship and commitment to that organization. You see, there are some organizations, some businesses, some churches, I don't know anybody there. I don't know, the, I don't know them from Adam. They don't know me from Adam. They're just out there. They're doing their own thing. You get word that they're closing. Except I don't have a relationship with them. Oh, well. See, when something is in decline or possibly dying, how we respond to it depends in part on our relationship and commitment to that organization. If they are to close, they may go all in to save it. I mean, everyone's going to jump together. They're going to kind of pool the resources. They're going to see what they can do to provide some energy and some effort and some action steps. And they're going to do it all in. I mean, everybody's just going to jump in both feet. They're, they're in. They're going to do what they can do. But if they aren't particularly close to the organization, the business, the store, they didn't go there much, they didn't frequent it, they haven't, really don't know anybody there. It's not really their cup of tea. No relationship with them. Oh, well, they're not too enthusiastic about saving it, are they? It all depends on the relationship you have. 
You see, if it's someplace that I really like, I enjoy being there, they're a part of you know, what I enjoy in my life, well, then I'm a little bit more touched by it. A little more willing to do something. To put skin in the game. To get active about it. Draw a parallel to the God's church. You've heard me say this a couple times over the last couple years, but all across America, roughly right now, this current statistic, about 1,400 churches a year are closing their doors, never to open again. And I have to ask myself, why? Even though we know the answers to those questions, but the rhetorical answer is, why? Because God's people, based on their relationship to the church and to Jesus Christ and their commitment to Him, are either all in or they're all out. You see, God tells us in His Word in Revelation that He said, I'd rather you be hot or cold. He says, but because you're neither hot nor cold, I would rather what? Yeah, we don't want to say those words, do we? Because those are nasty words. We don't really want to think about that thought. But get in your mind the picture of what that means. He said, I'd rather throw up until you're willing to make up your mind where you're going to stand on this. I'd rather puke. He wants us to be committed. He wants us to make a decision to know where we're going to stand, to know where we're going to go, to know what we're going to do. And we can, we can dwell on the negative side of all these things and say, oh, well, it is what it is, and whatever whatever's going to happen is going to happen. But it really comes down to the body of Christ and their commitment to the relationship they have with Jesus Christ. Right? So if we're all in in that commitment, man, things are going great. But when our commitment is halfway, when its commitment is shallow, so is the outcome of those decisions. But I want to choose to dwell on the good. In fact, in Revelation... Uh, chapter 2, he's really talking about, uh, um, in verse 6, or I'm sorry, verse 5, he says, Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from a place unless you repent. He has the idea there of what? Remember. Remember. Make sure that we are remembering what God has done. And I was thinking about this even yesterday. What has God done? I'm thinking about literally the hours of service, not just for me, but for everybody who's a part of the body of Christ. Consider all the hours that have been invested over a given week, over a given month, over a given year, over a given decade, over a given, you know, Amount of years. I mean, hundreds and thousands of hours, man hours of work that have gone into the body of Christ. Isn't that awesome? Think about that. I mean, just think about the number of people who have put in countless hours doing the work that God has called us to do. We're to remember that. Number two, I'm thinking about the dollars spent in furthering the kingdom. I have no earthly idea what the amount of dollars that has been invested in a church for the kingdom of God. I have no idea. We could look back over the last, and I know Paul is meticulous about records, and he says he wasn't as near as meticulous as the, as the uh, who is it, um, Brooks, before him. But you look at all the years of giving and giving and giving and giving, by countless numbers of people, and you say, wow, I can't even fathom the amount of money that God's people have given. 
to further the kingdom of God. But remember that. And there's a reason why. But the time spent in planting seeds and sharing the gospel and to know that God's word will not return unto us void. God never called us to control the outcome. He only called us to be faithful in doing what he's asked us to do, right? So the bottom line is there have been countless hours planting seeds and sharing the gospel. And then I think, too, of uh, the physical energy and the human exhaustion expended doing projects. Man, I was thinking about this this week. Paul out there on his hands and knees pulling every little weed out of that, gar- or out of that playground back there. And because of the sinfulness of man and the thorns, they come right back up. <laughs> but the hours and exhaustion and the physical energy that has been expended over the years. And I'm just thinking of this one church. Multiply that by thousands and thousands and thousands of churches. And then all of a sudden we come to the conclusion that, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can think of things that used to take place. Ministries that used to happen. Money that we used to be excited about giving to God's work. Energy that we used to get excited about expending on projects and work for the Lord. And then he reminds us, remember therefore from where you have fallen. If we can look back and say, there's a time I was more committed than I am now. If there's a time that I was more excited about walking with God and being in relationship with Him and learning more of His Word and doing more for Him and His service than I am now. He says, remember where you've fallen. It's important to remember where we've come from and then to use it as a catalyst to keep going on. If God was faithful then, He's going to continue to be faithful now and forevermore. Amen? We can't forget what He's done. But we can't live in the past. We're to look forward and see what God's going to do. We'll never know the result of all that God has done on this side of the grave. Think about that. One of the reasons I used to love construction, and I still do love construction, I, I, I enjoy doing a good work project. In fact, all my summers when I was teaching in a Christian school, all my summers I did construction. So I learned a lot of the things in the trade of plumbing and siding and windows and all these different things I used to do. But one thing I loved about construction is this. When we started a job in the morning, most all the time at the end of the day you could see something that was accomplished. Today we put up these four walls. Today we got the siding up. Today we installed windows. Today we got the sheeting on the roof. Today we got shingles on the roof. Today we installed the bathroom. You realize what I'm saying? There are some particular fields of interest that as you work, you can see the result of your hands. And what can be frustrating about ministry and church life is sometimes you don't see the immediate results. And sometimes we wonder, is God doing anything? Is God really there? Is he, I mean, I, okay, factually I know because it says in his word he's there, but I just don't sense his presence. And we wonder, where is he? I'm convinced that we will never know the result of all that God is doing this side of the grave. There are times in our lives that we just have to trust God and His Word and say, I know He's working. He's working behind the scenes, as we've talked about many times in many different fashions. He's behind the scenes working in ways that you and I can't even see at times. 
But we have to trust that he's there. He knows what he's doing. In Acts chapter 14, verse 27, says, Now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported, and that word reported has the idea of remembering as well, all that God had done with them, and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. When they came together, they reported, they remembered, they, they, they reminisced about all that God was doing as they were coming together. Why? Because he doesn't want you to forget all that he's doing. Folks, let's not forget what God has done to get us to this point. Is this the stopping point? No. But to this point, you can see God's hand. You can see that he's at work. You can see that he's moving. You can see that he's got a, a, a plan in motion. Even though we may not understand it all, we're not to forget what he's done to get us to this point. So as we consider all that God has done, let's not stop. Let's not stop. Let's redeem the time, as God's word says. And even more, as you see the day approaching, right? So we're to be more faithful now than we've ever been before. I've had different people in the past and different ministries and other ministries say, well, I've done my thing, I've done my time, I've shared my time. Oh, so you get to quit now. You don't get to quit. We used to joke about it in Indiana because there's a place called Bandag in uh, Indiana. Bandag tires. You know what Bandag tires are? They're retreads. They're just retreads. They take a tire and they got the technology to put new rubber on that tire and they send them back out again. It's one of the leading tires that they use in racing. Semi-trucks use them. In fact, David was telling me that they've learned how to retread and do all this stuff in school. There are times in our ministry life that you just need to slow down and retread. But you don't stop. You don't stop. I pray that God allows me to go till I die. I have no death wish, but I want to go faithful to the end. I don't want to get to a point and say, well, I've, I've done my time. I've served. Oh, well, big deal. Next person, next generation. And if we're not careful, we get cynical when we don't see the next generation doing what we want them to do. Let's be honest. And they're wondering why you want them to do it because they don't think like you. They don't act like you. They don't talk like you. And even I start going, seriously. And we don't get it. Folks, retread. Don't quit. Keep moving. Let's remember and look forward to what God is going to do and what he is doing now and how he's at work. A lot of people have a lot of ideas what they think church is all about. Church is not a building, though the building needs cared for. Um, this last week I was up doing the gutters on this side. And I have to admit, uh, somebody said to me, "Go, Pastor, the gutter needs cleaned out. And I said, no, it don't. In my mind, I'm thinking that's the last thing these gutters need. Why? There ain't no trees around here. There ain't. My house has trees on the other side. My gutters are full. This, not a single tree on either side. There's no way these gutters are full. Ain't happening. Got a ladder out. Two inches of solid gravel from the shingles. Two inches from one end to the other. Both the spouts clogged solid. How dumb am I? Somebody else was smarter than me and I couldn't see it. It's a building. But this is, the building isn't the church. It needs cared for. It needs tended to. But the building is not the church. It's not a social club or a country club. I hate the idea of someone saying, well, what do I have to do for membership? Like we're joining the Elks Club, the country club down the road. 
And I tell people, we don't have a membership application. I call it a membership profile. Because I want to know more about you. I want to know why you want to be a part of this local family, church family. But I hate the idea of membership because it just sounds so rigid. Well, if you follow all these rules and accomplish all these steps, then you can be a member. No, I want you to be a part of God's family. I don't know any family member that filled out an application to become part of that family. Fill out a membership profile. Let me get to know you better. It's not a business, although there are aspects of the church that function as a business. We have to watch out for the finances. We have to watch out how we spend our money. We have to watch out how we do things so that we become the best stewards of what God has given to us. But it's not a business. Then we have to care for things as a business. Um, it's not a museum of historical events of the past. Man, there are churches that love to commemorate what they used to be 50 years ago. In four years, we will, sell, we will celebrate our 50th anniversary, and guess what? I'm going to get excited about it. We're going to have a party around here for 50 years that we've stood. But we're not going to commemorate the past as much as we're going to look forward to the future. Because the church is not a museum of relics. I've been in some churches where they have a glass cage of the first chair that was used, or the first podium that was used, or the first Bible that was used. I, I've seen them. There are churches that house those things as shrines. I don't want to live in the past. Do you? I mean, I'm even considering my age. I wouldn't go back to 25 if you paid me $3 million. I wouldn't do it. I don't want to live in the past. I want to live for what God has for us in the future. And you know, it's not even a democracy. Think about that. Some of you are going to say, Pastor, you're going to change your mind in about 10 years. <laughs> no, I'm not. Let me tell you a side story. It has absolutely nothing to do with anything. I made a statement when I was in high school that I would never wear bell bottoms. Ever. Ever. And my teacher looks at me and says, would you sign a paper to that effect? I said, give me the paper and a pen. He hands it to me. I will never wear bell bottoms or elephant ear pants, as some of you call them, ever in my life. And I signed my name. About 15 years out of high school, he says, hey, Ken, you put on a pair of bell bottoms yet? I said, nope, not going to happen. Not doing that. I don't want to go back. I know what I'm looking forward to. And there's nothing in the past that can compare to what's going to go lie ahead. Nothing. Not even bell bottoms. But it's not a democracy either. You know, there are people who have the mindset that when I go to church, that we're just going to, you know, bottom line is we're just going to kind of like whoever's got the most say in it, we're going to win out. You might win, but then you split the church. It's not a democracy. See, God called, said there's, pastors and evangelists and bishops and teachers that are called of God to equip the church, to, do, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. God called the church to have a pastor as a leader, right? Bottom line is, it's not a democracy. But I can remember what I told the deacons in the public committee when I came. I said, give me the freedom to leave, to lead until I break your trust. Bottom line is, you have my word that I'm not just going to ramrod what I want through here, ever. It'd be stupid for you to, as a church, give me authority to do whatever I want unchecked when I got a bunch of people saying, don't do it. 
That's dumb. So we work in consensus. We work according to what the Spirit of God is telling us to do. We work as a family. What's best for the whole? And the bottom line is, it's not a democracy, folks. It should be a theocracy led by God, right? Man, you got, is, are you guys tired of something this morning? Everybody's tired. It's a theocracy. God leads us. So the bottom line is, God's word is clear about what the church is. The church is a local body or a family of Christian believers who have been baptized and have united, been united to carry out God's purposes and will both personally and corporately. You see, every one of us as a part of the body of Christ, we have a command. Do what God has asked us to do. Be who as God has asked us to be. It's really that simple. It really is that simple. It's not about me. You've seen me do this 100,000 times over the last eight years. It's not about me. It's all about Him and what He wants to do in and through us. It's His desire. So we know that a local body or family of believers who have been baptized and united to carry out God's purposes and will both personally and corporately. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it gives us a couple of verses that I think uh, help us to understand this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 27 and 28 says this, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that, Miracles and gifts and healings and helps and administrations, variety of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts and so forth? But he says in verse 31, But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. He says, You are all coming together to do what? My will. My desire. It's not about you. Not about me. It's about him. And that's what it should be all about every day of our living. A local body of qualified leadership. I won't take the time to get into this because we're actually going to get into it in the next two weeks as we go through First Timothy. But there is qualified leadership. And in First Timothy uh, chapter 3, in the first several verses, talks about that leadership. What it should be the mindset of a pastor? What should be the characteristics, the attributes of a pastor? I get to preach it myself and you all get to listen and make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And then we're going to talk about the deacons and make sure they're doing what they should be doing. Then we get to talk about the body and make sure that the body gets to do what they're supposed to be doing. But we're working together to do what God has asked us to do. Elders, shepherds, Ephesians 4, as I already said, 1 Peter chapter 5. Pastors to lead churches, knowing that they'll give an account. But long as we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, a local body is compared to the physical human body. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 just for a moment. And we'll begin reading verse 12. It says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Say that really fast. There you go. It says, For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? 
But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part of it which lacks it. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And I love this verse. And God has appointed these in the church. God has established the church. And as we go through this, the body has many parts and specific functions. Do you realize that every one of you, if you're part of the body, you have a function to perform. So if you are doing nothing, something's not right. I mean, can you imagine God has given you a body, He's given you two legs, two arms, two hands, two feet, two eyes, two ears, and all of a sudden one leg just says, you know what, I don't want to work anymore. I'm just, I've done this enough, i put my time in, I'm over it. Go get some crutches and drag one foot, because it's decided it doesn't want to work anymore. So, well, that's ludicrous. Right. One hand says, you know, do it on your own, man. I've been squeezing these fingers too long. I'm over it. My hands hurt. I'm done. I'm, I'm not going to work anymore. And you go to pick up something. It's like, it's done. One say, that's crazy. Well, yeah, it is. But is it any more crazy when God says that every one of you are a part of the body and then you don't want to function? Is it any more crazy? See, God has designed for you to be part of the body and to fulfill a role, a function. Every one of us. Are we doing our part? So the body has many parts and specific functions. The body shares a sense of dependency to work in unity, according to verse 21. We're to work in unity. Can you imagine? I mean, once again, you go down to pick up a box with your hands. And your back says, uh-uh. <laughs> hands, you can do whatever you want. But my back says, uh-uh, no, not working, not doing it. I'm tired. See, your back has to work in unity with your arms and hands. You say, I have that problem. <laughs> I know. I've had that problem too before. Involuntarily. But you get the idea. The church, the members of the body of Christ are to work and fulfill their role, their function, and to work in unity and harmony. Do you realize that the body has no excess parts Every part is necessary. He didn't give you one too many hands. He didn't give you one too many feet. He didn't give you one too many eyes. He didn't give you one too many hearts. There's no excessive parts. Uh, according to verses 25 and 26 again, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. We work together to care for one another. That there should be no schisms. Think about that. Let that sink in deep for a moment. I was talking about this with someone this week. The world has chaos, right? Thank you. The world has chaos. The world has disorder. The world has all kinds of issues. The world often doesn't understand who we are in Christ. That's a given. It's a fair statement. 
But all the struggle and the strife and the discord and the anxiety and the frustrations and the belittling ought not be in the body of Christ in the church. You have enough of that in the world. We don't need to bring it in. Amen? This ought to be a place of rest and, and, and encouragement and getting energy and getting full again. It says that there be no schism in the body, no division, no discord, because we're working together. I wonder oftentimes, I think it's verse 18. Yes, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. You know what that tells me as a pastor and as a person reading this passage of Scripture? It's not an accident that you're here. It's not an accident. He says he places each one into the body as he sees fit to place them. And every part is necessary. I've, I've been convinced over the years that we've got one too many armpits and not enough feet. And then I get convinced that those feet are awfully smelly. They need to get cleaned up a little bit. And God says every one of them are necessary. Even those little tongues that like to flap once in a while. Got to guard them. Got to work on them. Got to unify them. But they're all important. And so what are the purposes and functions of the body of Christ in the church standpoint? Well, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are his, what? Workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, prepared beforehand that we should what? Walk in them, do them. Because we also have said many times in James chapter 2 that faith without works is what? Dead. What's he saying there? He said, if you claim to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, serve him. Serve him. See, you don't get a buy. You don't get to just say, well, someone else will do that. You don't get a pass on this. All of us are important if we claim the name of Jesus. Now, Ephesians 2.8.9 makes it also clear that we can't work our way to heaven, right? Not by works of righteousness, which we've done, Titus 3. So our works don't save us, but if we truly know Jesus, we'll want to serve him. We'll want to work for him. We'll want to be involved in what he's involved with. And the bottom line is, we have to do our part because Ephesians chapter 2 says we're his workmanship. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, as I mentioned earlier, he gave some pastors and teachers and evangelists and bishops and so forth to do what? To equip the saints, the people of God, those who know Jesus Christ, to do what? The work of the ministry. You see, it's not just a pastor's job or a deacon's job or a Sunday school teacher's job. It's all of us working together to do the work of the ministry. And if we're truly part of the body of Christ, we will want to make opportunities to participate in God's work. In Matthew chapter 4, in verse 19, he says this, And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Was he suggesting to the fishermen just to come with me? No, he says that follow means it was a command and when there is no particular subject that's understood you it says you follow me God's the same follow 
He says, if you'll follow, I'll make something of you. I'll make you fishers of men. They're involved in doing the work of the ministry. And a church, or the body of Christ, those who truly know Jesus Christ, will make disciples of those, of themselves in the lives of others. We mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I think every one of us needs a Paul and a Timothy. Every one of us. You need a Paul that you're learning from consistently. Who are you learning from? I have found in my years that if I want to learn something from somebody older than me or wiser than me or more experienced than me, there's something that's required. What's required is my submission to their leadership. If I'm unwilling to learn what they have to teach me, I'm not going to go anywhere. And I know that God doesn't want us to stop. So we continuously put ourselves in a place we're willing to learn by submitting to those who have an ability to teach us. So I ask you, who's your Paul? Who are you learning from? And secondly, we need a Timothy. Who are you investing in? Who are you teaching? Who are you showing, as far as spiritually speaking, how to live out their faith? How to read the Bible? How to pray? How to be encouraged when things are discouraging around them? Who's your Paul? Who's your Timothy? Honestly, I have several of both. Because I want to continue to learn everything that God has for me to learn. And I want to teach what I know to those who are willing to listen. They make disciples because 2 Timothy 2, chapter 2, he says he calls faithful men who will teach other faithful men, who will teach other faithful men, and so on and so forth. We're truly faithful in doing what God asks us to do, we'll be investing into the lives of others. And we say often, we invest in relationships so that we can invite them to the most important relationship, which is Jesus Christ. One more passage, Acts chapter 2. It's nothing new. You've heard this before, you'll hear it again. Acts chapter 2. I just want to read verses 41 through 47 in closing. Acts 2.41 says this, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. I had to stop right there as I was reading this again the other day. It says those that, what was the word? Gladly. Pastor, I'll take it because you said it, but I really don't like it. Take it up with God. It's his word. How do we receive the word that God's teaching us? Some of us are going to walk out and say, Well, man, I still ain't going to do nothing. I'm not going to serve. Someone else will do it. You're, gladly not, you're not gladly receiving the word. It says, And they that gladly received the word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We talked about that in the past. The truth, the word of God, what they knew to be truth. And fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers, the communion, the, um, so forth. Then the fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread and house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Several things from this passage. Verses 41 and 42, they preach the gospel message. Folks, if we do not preach the gospel message, we are not doing our job. God has called us to proclaim the gospel. Number two, they fellowship. According to verse two, they fellowship with God's people. It's important. I'm going to say it. 
Man, every time we have a fellowship, there are a few of you that just say, boom, gone, out of here. Stick around in fellowship once. Get to know someone you don't know. Encourage somebody. Be encouraged by somebody. But stick around if you can. Because fellowship is important. Truly, God's Word says the fellowship is around Jesus Christ, what He's doing. It's around His church, His people. And we need that. We all need that. Verses 41 and 42, we see that they observed the ordinances. They partook of the Lord's table. And there were those who were baptized. We practice those in our church. Verse 42, they prayed. They prayed together. When's the last time we prayed together as a body? Where you have people that you're going to and praying with. I'm excited. Uh, I wanted to take time at the annual meeting, and I didn't get into it because, I, honestly, I forgot. But I'm excited about what we're going to do this coming fall. In October, we're having the front of the stage redone. Um, in the eight years that I've been here, the baptistry keeps leaking and cracking, and we've had repairmen in here to repair the fiberglass. And, and then somewhere in one of our last baptismals, somebody left the heater on, and so the heater you know, froze up and is no good. So what we're going to do is we're going to take the baptistry out and we're going to push the stage back 13 feet. As we push back 13 feet, we get to have 13 feet free in the back of our church, creating space from within. And one of the things that we're going to do is have a prayer room in the back of our church, inside the doors. If you've ever seen the church right up the road here on the way to Mate's house, um, if you've ever been in there to vote, we're going to do something similar to that. And i got a group coming to do it, and they're not going to charge us a dime. Isn't that awesome? Why? Because we need to pray more. I've been praying that God would give us a prayer room in the back. Say, so we can go downstairs in one of the rooms, and there are people that can't get down the stairs. I want us to see us pray more. I'm excited about that. We'll be talking about more of that later. Verse 43 the fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done. They saw God's power in action. When's the last time you saw God's power? When's the last time you've experienced in your life? Answered prayer. Something you prayed for specifically because you pleaded out before God, and you put your faith and trust in Him, and He did it. I want to see God's power at work. I want to see that more and more. You see in verses 44 and 45, it says, now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They cared for one another. They cared for one another. So much that they said, hey, we're willing to pool our resources, and if so-and-so needs help, we're going to help them. If so-and-so needs help, we're going to help them. They're willing to pool the resources. We do that some. And I'm thankful for what, what God does through his church. But verse 46, we see that they reached into their community. It says, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They went from house to house. They were in the community. And this is where we struggle a lot as a church. We really do. And the sad part about it is I think a lot of us just don't even care. Because we've got accustomed or used to the way things are. We have an opportunity to learn what it means to love our neighbor. We have an opportunity to pray for those that we work with, that we come in contact with, that are related to, that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we just kind of get to the conclusion that, well, that's who they are. That's who I am. Do we really pray about it? Do we care about it? Do we get enough to get in our communities and say, I've got something that would change your life. Can I share it with you? 
verse 47 tells us that they praised God together. You know what the word praise means? It means to boast. They boasted in God. It's like they got excited about who God is and what God was doing. And verse 47, they grew. You've heard me say it a million times, healthy things grow. I want to be healthy. As a church, I want to move forward. I don't want to just be stuck in a rut. I don't want to just be here forever. I want God to do something great in our midst. Right? I want to see God do something that I can't explain. I want to see God do something that I didn't orchestrate. In Mark 12, 30 and 31, it says this. And I believe this is where it starts. This is where it all starts in the body of Christ. Once we know him as our Savior, once we put our faith and trust in him and our first steps of obedience, this is what follows. It says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You see, until we do that, it says this is the first commandment. You see, if we're not willing to be obedient to verse 30, 31 will never come. We will, if we're not obedient to the great commandment, we will never be obedient to the great commission. Verse 31 says, And the second like it is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is, there is no other commandment greater than these. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by our what? Love for one another. Say, what's the test? John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. You see, if I'm obedient, it's because I love him. And if I change that verse around just the opposite, it says, If you love me, keep my commands. I can actually say, If I'm keeping my commands, it shows my love for him. If I'm not showing my keeping his commands, I'm showing that I don't. <laughs> right. We don't like to think about that. But it's truth. And so my challenge from God's word today is this. If you're going to be part of the church, be a part of the church. Be all in. Don't just be half in. Don't just be partially in. You'll never accomplish what God wants you to accomplish as a body of believers if we're not all in doing our part, fulfilling our role, completing our function. And it comes down to whether or not we love him. You can say I love him, but actions speak louder than words. I can say I love him all I want, but if my words words are meaningless, if my actions aren't following. What does God want you to do to be part of the body? How does God want you to function? You say, Pastor, I have no idea. I hear this all the time, and I just don't know what I should do. Come talk to me. I'll give you some ideas. And I'm so thankful that God doesn't all make us function the same way. I'm glad I get to throw Ian up in the air and then say, go to class. Because I don't want to teach his class. But I want to love on him. I want to throw him up in the air. I want to have fun with him. But that's somebody else's role. But somebody's doing that role. God will not... Make us do all the same thing. But if you love him and want to serve him and walk in obedience with him, he'll give you a ministry. He'll give you a work. They'll find, there's something that you can do for him. I'm convinced of it. And I don't care if you're 98 years old, God has something for you to do for him. I'm convinced of it.
if you're willing to do it. If you love me, and that word if is a big word. Two letters, but it's huge. If. Because if you don't, you will nothing change. Nothing will change in your life. But if you do, you'll step out in obedience. And one more thing I found over the years is that I don't have to be good at it. I don't. Because there's a lot of things in life that I've found that I'm not good at. I love to sing, but I don't think I'm that good at it, honestly. I'm not good at it. I just have a loud voice. It's loud. It's obnoxious. I was in, the, I was in a hospital one time, and somebody was on their deathbed, and, and the kids asked me, would you go in there and talk to my dad and share the plan of salvation? I said, absolutely. I was in there, and the nurse comes and goes, your voice carries like a Sherman tank. Yes, it does. <laughs> Thank you. I may have a loud voice, but there's a lot of things. I, I mean, I'd love to. I used to think, man, I'd love to be in a good quartet. Yeah. There's things I can't do. But I'm not called to be good at stuff. I'm called to be obedient to stuff. I'm not called to be great at something. I'm called to be faithful to something. My Bible tells me that God will work through those who will let God work through them. That's 2 Chronicles 16. You've heard it a hundred times. The eyes of God run to and fro throughout the whole earth to do one thing, to show himself strong in him whose heart is perfect towards him. God says, you don't have to be good. You just have to say, hey, let me use you. God says, I'll work through you. I don't have to be good. I don't have to have all the answers. I just have to be available. I have to just be willing to let God use me. He'll control the outcomes. But it starts with the decision to say, I love God. I want to serve Him. I'm going to let my life be used for Him. Will you say that? Will you do that? Will you make that commitment? It's between you and God. And if we can do that, remember what God has done in the past. Remember what He's doing right now. Look forward to what He's going to do in the future. God will do great things if we let him, if you let him. Let's pray.